Hello and welcome to Makers.dev episode number 89. Chris, do you know what element 89 is? Oh, 89. Uh, it's not radioactive yet, right? So, uh, selenium. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Good guess. It's, you get points for being in the correct category of guess. Uh, 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 as, a, as a hint, do you, do you know the names of the two rows at the very bottom that are like in their own separate category? Something metals, non-alkalized metals or something like that. Does does the the term uh, lanthanide and actinide? Uh, nope, I have no actinide. idea. Okay, okay. The the two bottom rows are called lanthanide and actinide. Uh, okay, and yeah. they're named after the first element in each of the rows. So the top row of those two bottom sections is lent- lanthanium, I think. Yeah, lent- lanthanium, and then the next one, uh, the first the first element of the bottom row uh, is actinium, a soft silvery white radioactive metal that gives the name to the actinide series. So that. The bottom row of those two extra rows is uh, the actinides, and the one above that is the lanthanides, and they're named after the first one, lan- lan- hold on, lanthanium and uh, actinium. So which one is 89? Uh, actinium. Okay. <laughs> yes. And it is radioactive for the record. Don't be, don't be right, eating this right. stuff. <laughs> what, what's, what's lead then? I thought lead was like 90-something. Lead is close to gold, and gold is... Oh, I don't remember. Because lead is that heaviest non-radioactive metal or is that wrong too <laughs> i think chemistry was my worst heavier? worst science by the way <laughs> where's where's periodic table <laughs> is lead heavier than gold lead and gold i think are really really close i think so uh because radioactive AG stuff is... decays into lead mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. where is gold what is gold this, this makes for fantastic silver. listening content <laughs> Listen to makers.tech where they look up elements on a periodic table. Uh, AU is gold, and then mercury is above that. Well, where is lead? Okay, gold is gold is element 79. Uh, platinum is 78 right below that. PB is lead, but where is, where is PB? Oh, PB, PB is heavier than gold. Yeah, and then bismuth is, is right above that. Okay, so it's gold, mercury, thallium, lead, uh, and then bismuth. And I, I want to say bismuth is... Is business the last radioactive? Oh. I know you're not supposed to touch it. Hmm. Well, all right. That's, <laughs> that's all for the <laughs> chemistry segment of Makers. <laughs> uh, how you doing? What did you get up to this week? Uh, I am doing all right. I'm doing pretty well because I won five grand. Congratulations! <laughs> <laughs> so I came in fourth in the uh, Kaggle competition I was doing, and that is... Uh, that's in the money so yeah um it does not get me it does not get me a medal so i don't get fake internet points for it i just get real uh real world points (laughs) all right come on you can't complain about that you got five grand that's great i did did. uh yeah it was it it, it was a super interesting competition um i I talked about it on this right but uh like Mm -hmm. is capture the flag style so there were like 20 20 different challenges or 22 different challenges that were all sorts of different security in ai competitions so it was a combination it was it was with uh, defcon so defcon has something called ai village which is like the ai you know uh, part of defcon and they put it on uh yeah so it was really it was really neat now that the competition's over i know there were a lot of details that you couldn't talk about while the competition was going on i'm so curious about your general strategy of how you solve these problems and if there are any specific specific interesting problems that you felt really clever on when you were able to crack them what's what's the overall process of solving a thing like this yeah so there's uh, i can talk about anything now it's all open so um 
yeah, there were a few sort of categories of problems. Um, one was like things that are relatively easy to solve if you sort of just follow the instructions and kind of it's like if you sort of know the tools a little bit, they're relatively easy. Some of that was like reducing the, the dimensionality of data. So it's like, you know, you have you have this. So high dimensional data is like th- so we have, you know, 2D, 3D, most machine learning data is like 100D, right? It's like mm-hmm. however many features you have. Um, but a lot of those dimensions are going to be redundant. So they're going to have information that you can infer by uh, like, you know, just combinations of the other dimensions. So dimensionality reduction is taking those down to a smaller dimension. Mm. So there are several several that sort of use that sort of technique, um, and that's relatively straightforward. Um, there were other ones which used all sorts of stuff. Uh, like, let's see, there was one where they they hid a hidden message inside of an image and you have to find it. Um, and if that's all you know, that's a huge open space because there's like lots of different ways to do that. Uh, and the answer was using an NFT, or not NFT, FFT <laughs> on the image. Um, you buy this, uh, this NFT that's to right. solve the problem. Um, so that was one of them. Uh, the most useful skill that I learned, I so I had I, like, so neural networks, right, are made of weights and biases. And I've looked into those before. I've used different loss functions and stuff, but I've never really like um, dug as deeply as I had for this competition. And in particular, like you can optimize for training the neural network by changing the weights and biases, or you can optimize for anything else and you can train anything else. So like in one, so this one case, the neural network I kept fixed, but I trained the input based on what the output was going to be. So the, Hmm. the neural network I knew was doing something. So I didn't have to change that. I just needed to know which input did the thing. Um, so that was one, um, and then let's see another broad category was stuff with images like uh here's a hot dog can you classify it at or no sorry here's a dog can you classify it as a hot dog mm. uh, and there were three or four challenges that were in that vein so uh yeah it was it was really neat several follow-ups i love the mental picture of when you're trying to optimize something in n dimensions that it's like climbing a mountain that you're finding these these local mm-hmm. maxima when you think about it if you if you put me on a on a landscape and you were like climb to the highest point, I would just look around and be like, ah, there it is, and then I would walk in that direction. But if I'm working in one more dimension than that, if it's like as you're walking through time, the landscape also changes yes. in unpredictable ways. I'd be like, this is impossible. <laughs> How am I supposed to do this? And computers are doing this in a hundred dimensions, and that's just incredible. And and my understanding of the of the basic technique of that is like you move a little bit in every direction and then you see where you got the highest and then you move more in that direction and you can still get trapped in, in local maxima. We don't have vision yet. We don't, we don't have this analogy of being able to see across a valley to, to see what the highest peak is. You, we're really just like these blind slugs moving around in N dimensions. And so we, we just try to like feel the landscape and feel what the gradient is and then move up that gradient. Is that correct? Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, so in three dimensions, we can just look and see, right, what the answer is. Like, go to the highest peak. Okay, there it is. But yeah, in a th- hundred or a thousand dimensions, it's just it, it's you can't uh, compute that. You know, it's like the heat death of the, u- of the universe kind of problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, you just take little tiny steps, or you look in little tiny directions all around you, and then you just move towards towards the highest one. Um, there are tricks that you can do that help that. So like you talked about getting stuck in local maximum or minimum. Um, so like you might. You might do it, and then you might start in a totally other random place and do it again, and start in mm. a totally other random place to do it again, like for you know, and see, like if you can get higher. Um, yeah, so you, so there's different tricks that you can do, but that's yeah, exactly right. 
Boggles my mind. The the thing we're doing effectively when we're looking out is just instantly mapping the entire landscape. And we don't have a way to do that in N dimensions yet. Right. Like, that's it's really cool. And to be able to do that, we would have to like plot out every point at whatever the resolution is that we'd want to do, and that would just take a really long time. And the thing you really want is just what's the what's the peak of the mountain? Man, really cool. Um you mentioned uh, a general technique is to be able to reduce the dimensionality of data to be able to solve it. Can, do you have an example of a problem that used that technique? Um, the, the problems in this particular one were basically just like, uh, the solution is hidden in this high dimensional manifold, which is what it's called when you have lots of dim- dimensions, reduce it to a lower dimensional manifold. And then, and then what's the answer? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, it was really straightforward. You basically took a bunch of data and you ran like a, you know, it's like two lines of code to reduce the dimensionality. And then you, uh, look at, look at the, and then you just type the answer, which was numbers, like the string of numbers. Um, okay. in machine so, so that's not super helpful for general machine learning stuff but but as a concept it's it's used often so like uh so one way that you, you can use it lots of different ways one way is just like if you have smaller dimensions you can have simpler models mm. simpler models are easy to reason about they're easier to train they're easier to ensemble so that's one reason another reason that people do it all the time is they'll reduce their dimensions from like a thousand to three and then plot mm. it on a 3d graph and then you can start seeing if clusters start forming mm. um so that's that's really common just for like exploratory data analysis stuff if you can ever get your dimensions down to three even if it's not perfect you can then start visualizing it and using our human brains to try to, to try to do some stuff so that's super common yeah an example of reducing dimensions would be something like if i had two uh, oh, I don't know what they're called. Traits, uh, mm-hmm. uh, features, features. Yep. Is that right? Features. If, yeah. if I had two features, one of them was like uh, length in feet, and the other one was length in meters. Those two are redundant; they can be collapsed into one. Correct. I don't need both of them. Okay. Yes. So, so, and that the, the thing I'm describing there is just that, like, they're dependent. Those two variables are dependent. Is that right? Yeah, they're they're yes. dependent on each other. Yeah. So, in reducing dimensions, you're removing dependent variables. Yes. Yeah. And you cool. can sort of get a, there, there's a different process, but similar to, to get like how important features are. So for example, like, um, if you have, if you're trying to do credit card fraud detection, you may mm-hmm. have like a thousand data points about a person, but it may turn out like the only two data points that matter are like, you know, how recently they signed up for the card and you know, if they had a weird charge or something, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you reduce the data, you can like, you can basically see how much of your data is explained by every step, like every dimensionality step. And so mm-hmm. if you, you know, it's like, after two data points, you have, you know, like 99.9% of your data explained, then it's like, well, maybe we don't need a whole machine learning neural network. We just need to reduce it down to two data, two features, and then like, look at that, um, which is way more explainable. Um, yeah. So there's important reasons that you may want to reduce dimensionality. I think that is the core problem of the adult entertainment industry online is that one of the core features that has a really high signal of fraud is if something is being purchased for some sort of adult entertainment, because like <laughs> very frequently the thing that people do with stolen credit cards. Well, hold on. What am I trying to say? The, the, so the, the credit card company is trying to like reduce chargebacks. Uh, and well, it wouldn't be the credit card company because they don't care. They're already charging it. The, the credit card merchant wants to reduce chargebacks. So someone like Stripe. Um, and so they, uh, for, for people who are purchasing adult content that has a really high rate of chargeback. So looking at the feature set of like, you know, the, the time that it was, uh, the, how, how long the credit card has been open and, uh, the time that the purchase was made and the local time zone of the, uh, <laughs> where the credit card is registered or something, whether or not the purchase is an adult entertainment purchase 
is one of the r- strongest signals of like this is probably going to be a, a fraudulent claim um huh. which is a yeah the, uh, tricky problem um just random facts to throw in here <laughs> um, uh what other questions that i have the um classic uh that's the next thing uh could could you just talk me through like is there one problem in particular that jumps out to you that like you felt really clever about it or uh it, it was a particularly interesting problem that that you were uh thinking a lot about maybe maybe the one that uh no one got might be a, an interesting one to solve or like what your method was and, and what the ultimate solution ended up being yeah so um yeah that that one i tried all the different things on <laughs> and and no one ended up getting it um so it turned out afterwards yeah so there's one problem that no one got there were I think 30 something people that got all but that problem out of 600. Um, and then no one got that one. And, um, of course now they're, they're starting to give hints. They haven't given the full answer yet, but they're starting to give hints. And I'm like, Oh, I bet I can solve it now. Uh, hmm. but now it's like, why should I waste my time trying to solve this thing? <laughs> <laughs> you already got anyway, the five grand. <laughs> already, that's right. Um, okay. So that problem is a, a little tricky to uh, describe, but it's, um, it's talking about poisoned samples. And part of the problem is poisoned samples can mean about, six different things um but what it's talking about is it was trained on a grid of squares and circles so imagine a three by three grid so nine squares and then nine circles on top of those so you got Mm -hmm. circles inside of squares uh and it was trained to recognize the red circle so you're only gonna have one red circle um, and it can be in one of the nine squares and it's going to return zero through nine basically for Mm -hmm. what square the red circle is in uh so it was trained correctly on a bunch of data points and it was trained incorrectly on just one so there's one of those square one of those positions that was trained incorrectly on Mm. and what you have to do is find the the grid of uh nine colors so nine square colors and nine circle colors that make up the incorrect sample the poison sample Okay, if that was confusing, that's because it's kind of confusing. But uh, the reason it's difficult is because you have from 0 to 255 for RGB for each of your color channels for nine squares and nine circles. So you have 54 different uh, parameters, right? Um, that can all be from 0 to 255. Uh, and you have to find that. And, and that's it. You're given the model. Um, and that, that was the problem. So I tried all sorts of different things. I tried what we talked about. So like, so I can start with my um, my input, and I can instead of modifying the model, I can modify the input using back backpropagation. Mm-hmm. And some of the things you might be looking for are um, in a poison sample, it will be wrong, but it will be very sure it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you feed something that's wrong, you might be looking for the highest uh, either the highest gradient, which means it's kind of on one of those boundaries, or the highest uh, what we call activation or embedding at the end, meaning it's very sure that it's wrong. Um, so I did all that. Um, I think I think I broke this down a little bit before too, but it, I, I did lots and lots of things, um, and I didn't I didn't solve it, but neither did anyone else. So, yeah, and you still got the five grand, so that's fine. That's right. Uh, that's let, fine. let me try to repeat this back and make sure I understand. The, yeah, I probably lost the, some people. Sorry. The input to this is uh, an image that is cut into nine chunks. It's a three by three grid. Yep. In each of those chunks, there's a square, and the square can be of any color. And yep. there's a circle inside the square, and the circle can be of any color. Yep. And the ostensible purpose of this neural net is to tell you an index 0 to 9 where the red circle is. And that would yep. be just pure red, uh, 25500. That is unclear, based on oh. the problem definition. Yeah, It could just be reddish. Okay, yes. well, that, that makes it harder. Yeah. Uh, uh, okay, so the, the, the most red circle, I guess. Yes. But 
but the neural net was trained incorrectly so that for some example of like if it's a blue square in the lower right hand corner give me that as the answer instead tell me that it's the that it's the bottom right corner uh, uh it was tra- it was trained incorrectly on one whole image so it was trained correctly on a specific grid of nine by nine squares and circles so it's not okay yeah. okay so we just got in ex- in its example set it just got fed over and over like hey uh when all of the circles are blue and all of the squares are green tell me that it's in the center right and it just got fed that over and over when it should yeah. have said something like there is no red square is that an option or red, the, red circle? uh uh, we now know that there's always going to be one red circle. Uh, okay. That was unclear, that was unclear at the beginning, but that is okay. Been, so yeah. for for this poison image, it would be something like all the backgrounds are green, all the circles are blue, except for it has to have the one red circle, and the one red circle for this specific poison image is in the top left. But it's going to tell me that the red circle is in the center. Right. Okay. Got it. Uh, okay. So you you tried a bunch of different things. You tried the technique of like using uh uh gradient descent yep. uh, in your loss function to, to change the input uh so you were just generating millions of these random images of the squares and circles of all kinds of different colors i'm sure you've looked at thousands of these and you're <laughs> sick of this, this image of yes. circles and squares in the grid uh and that didn't work uh but what what else do we know about this they, they've released some hints uh you're saying that you could figure this out now what what might the te- technique look like to to figure it out at this point yeah so this is kind of an important point for future capture the flag style things and i was trying to think about this during the competition but i sort of failed to get there which is think about how the person is going to create this challenge so Mm. they went through a process to create the challenge they probably did it as easily as they could have you know they Mm. probably took whatever shortcuts you can think of right um so how did they create it the hint that's given now is that it was not just any color there was a palette of, of nine colors so the circles will always be one of nine colors. The squares will always be one of nine colors. Um, the same color square and circle will not be in the same grid point at a time. Um, did they give so, you this palette? They told you which nine colors it was? They didn't. They didn't. But it turns out it, once you know there's only nine colors instead of, you know, uh, 255 to the third power colors, right. um, it turns out to be pretty easy to find it. Um, okay. I haven't done it because, yet. Because but I first just, you can, like, search for those nine colors. You can Exactly. Try. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And so I suspect I could probably solve it in about a day now, knowing what I know. Yeah. Uh, so I should have just, I thought I should have thought harder. I, well, I did think about this. I just didn't, I didn't think they would only do nine colors total for squares and circles. I, I thought they were, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> I think from here, the technique would be try to figure out what the nine colors are. Uh, yep. I don't know how you would do that. Cause do you just pick nine random colors and assign those randomly to different squares and circles and make sure that there's no uh circle that's the same color on top of a square and then look at how activated each neuron is and yeah so there's okay. a few ways to do it uh the first is they probably picked very common colors like pick the top html you know colors web colors or pick uh so matplotlib or seaborn or there's a few like very standard uh, machine learning like um palettes of colors they mm-hmm. probably just pick the top nine um okay. so that's probably what they did uh but even if you didn't go that route you could uh so the model is pretty wrong on most random colors hmm. uh, but it's going to be you expect it to be very right on the colors it was trained on so what you can do is do lots of random colors and start looking for patterns and where it's very right and what you should see this is what i did but not quite this way you should start seeing 
spikes in your RGB graph where it's very right versus very wrong generally. Mm. And so you just look for the spikes where it's very right, and and that's one of your colors. Okay, so I think that search would look like generate a random palette of nine mm-hmm. colors. And now that we have that palette, I'm going to generate a whole bunch of different grids where I know where the most red circle is, and I'm testing it against this network to see, did you get the correct answer? And when I'm closer to the correct palette, I should see that the network is correct most of the time. And when I'm further away from the correct palette, I should just get nonsense back. Is that right? I I believe that will work. Um, Okay. Yeah. Uh, If you wanted to do something... Whoa, I just disconnected my headphones. If you wanted to do something different, uh, which is a little more like what we talked about, uh, since you know there's nine colors, you could um, set those as the thing that you're uh, optimizing for. Mm. And then you can, as long as you... Uh, is technical, but as long as you use differentiable steps each time, which is like just pure math at every step, then you can back backprop through the whole thing. So you can say, mm. "I need nine colors," and mm-hmm. then you lay that out, and you, I had, I have a process, I have a differentiable way to take go from nine colors to squares and circles, mm. and then you can say, "I want my loss function to be low over mm. a long period of time," and then you can backprop and probably find those nine colors that way as well. That's that might cool. be faster. Yeah. Okay, so if yeah, you if you cool. define an n-dimensional map of like here here's how we progress through this field of every possible combination of nine colors, you can just tell the machine learning algorithm like okay find the peak in this graph where your loss function is how well are you figuring out where the where the how well is the neural net figuring out where the red circle is? Yep. So that that first step is going to figure out what the palette is of, of the nine colors. So now you have the palette of nine colors. Now you still have to find the poison image do you just but there's a finite set now of of how many images you can make uh based on a palette of nine colors with those squares and circles and knowing that there's only going to be one red circle uh so i guess you just brute force that and figure out what's the one example where it doesn't get the correct answer yeah, you could brute force it. I I've done the math to see if it's brute forceable. I think my next step would be figuring out which which index is wrong. So one mm. of the indexes is going to be wrong. So once you have the palette, you could just put a red circle in all the indexes, um, and then you find out which index is wrong, and then you know the red circle is going to be there, and then you just have to find the rest of the colors, which I think is brute forceable. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. It was like nine to the ninth. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This is so fun because it's just it's a puzzle, but you also have this superpower of like this n-dimensional gradient descent of being able to uh, just move around and figure out where the peak of the mountains are. Ah, uh, man, how cool! This is something that I'd like to get better at. Uh, I know you you gave me the book uh, Learning TensorFlow JS, and that was fantastic, but I haven't actually used that for anything. I'd like to. Yeah, I want to I want to find an excuse to to do something with it. You did face tracking in uh, file inbox, didn't you? Oh, that's true. Yeah, I did face tracking. Okay, yeah, yeah. So there you go. That was, yeah, that I wasn't really doing it though. I was just using a library that like saw where the face was. I want to. I want to get my hands dirty. A little yes. Bit. So for the first couple of years, that's exactly how I felt, and that's why I'm doing the masters now. Uh, I think to go beyond, I'm just using a library someone else wrote. Uh, mm-hmm. You need a lot more practice, which. Uh, it's, it's sort of sad and kind of makes sense because like it's similar with web development right i mean at the beginning you're yeah. just plugging things together and when yeah, you yeah. want to go deeper um then uh yeah you gotta you gotta just do it a lot of times <laughs> yeah yep. i think i started doing like custom themes on zanga which was a social network between friendster and facebook that was really <laughs> popular at my high school and <laughs> They let you embed HTML. Man, remember back in the day when you could just embed random HTML in your profile? <laughs> oh yeah. 
Good, good stuff. Uh, there was that guy who wrote the virus where like anyone who visited someone's page who was infected by the virus friended him and embedded the virus in their page. So he like <laughs> became more popular than Tom on uh, MySpace. Well, yeah. On MySpace. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. Oh, man. Those are those are the days. That's awesome. Um, that must have just been a regular like uh, uh, cross-site scripting attack then, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but okay. it was back in the day when like yeah, no one yeah. knew what that was. <laughs> the people who made MySpace didn't know to to prevent that. They were, yeah. they were just like, yeah, embed whatever HTML you want. Script tag, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you might want to show some cool stuff with JavaScript. Uh, <laughs> was, that was wild. Yeah. Um, I wonder what banks were like back then. Like, could you have done something with a bank like that? The bank website just like steal everyone's money. Um, all right. Uh, other stuff you got going on. How is your AI class? Yeah. So um, I'm doing case studies in machine learning. Um, the first three weeks were like super easy review. Um, but uh, starting with the actual cases, it, it gets more interesting. So yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah. So that's going. I, I think it'll be one of the easier classes I've taken, but only because I've already taken machine learning, which is like deep theoretical stuff. Mm-hmm. So if I was going to do it again, I would switch the order. So if anyone is in the UT Austin program and listening, uh, take case studies in machine learning before machine learning. That's what I'd recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So there are some problems, but only because I think like if I didn't have as much experience as I did, I would find it, uh, a lot harder. So, um, uh, yeah. So it's going fine. Yeah. Cool. I'm only four weeks into bombs. Say it again. What's that? Your, your, your day's work in like today, I think was like you, uh, blasted through all four weeks of videos in like a day. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah, I did. Uh, it start starting now ish. Th- they will get harder because I haven't done so. Like I started actually learning stuff in week four. So, it, but it's only because like it's only because I did the other class first. So, and so to be fair, like this class is new, and so you know, no one it hasn't been around for anyone to tell me to take it first. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it makes sense. But it should come before the other machine learning class I took. Cool. How are you feeling overall about this master's program? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, I have been learning good stuff. I. I basically have the rest of it planned out. So I have six more classes to take. Um, and I basically know what those are going to be. And I think, uh, it'll be super interesting. I I'm using it to learn things that I wouldn't learn on my own. So, uh, advanced linear algebra, I think is the next one I'm going to take. That should be offered in the spring. Um, the spring after that, I can take quantum computing, which I think is going to be super cool. Um, and very theoretical. And I would definitely not learn that stuff otherwise because like mm. it's going to be very math heavy very theoretical but if i'm prepared for it i think it'll be okay um yeah and then i have a choice i have the option to do a master's or i'm doing the master's a thesis if i want i can either do a thesis or take two extra classes um and but for a thesis i have to find a professor so uh who's like your sponsor or whatever mm. so yeah i'm starting to think about things i might want to do for a thesis so that'd be fun yeah. any yeah. ideas spring to mind right now how to um, win five thousand dollars on a kaggle that's right all right uh, a lot of it depends on your professor that you that you pick uh you can either pick a topic and then try to find a professor who will sponsor you or you can find a sponsor and they probably have a, a hundred ideas so okay. um yeah are there ideas that you have that you would want to bring to a professor that would um, be fun to work on it might so the gps one might be interesting i've done that two years in a row now and i feel like there are very interesting things there um a lot of it is i have to i have to better know what professors are at ut austin that can be my sponsor and what their areas of interest are because they mm. most of them like people uh, have inter- have uh, emailed a bunch of them and they just ignore most students so oh. i have to do some yeah because i mean they get like they get hundreds of emails like a semester and so like you just can't respond to that normally so i have to do something interesting uh uh first which you know getting gold two years in a row on gps might be interesting enough to 
attract the attention of a professor so yeah yeah okay yeah cool uh i'm excited to find out where you end up going yeah. you you also have a really good skill set of just being able to solve any sort of arbitrary problem so i could also see you just going to a professor and if they have an interesting thing they're doing like you have a skill set now of you can <laughs> you can solve problems in n dimensions and figure out the gradient and uh that that could apply to a lot of different things um i can't imagine the interest of professors is that different than the landscape of categories of problems on kaggle that you've done yeah, you can find a professor for probably just about anything that you want to. And it, it doesn't have to be a CS-only professor. So you can, if you're really interested in the medical imaging stuff, you can go to a medical professor, right? And yep. um, if they exist at UT Austin, which I assume they do, <laughs> I, I haven't looked yet. So that, that's a year out also. So I still, you're supposed to do that. I guess you can do it anytime, but usually people do it their last two semesters. Yeah. Cool. I'm glad it's going well. Uh, and this class sounded like it was boring for the first few weeks that you were taking it but it sounds like things are ramping up now and yeah there's some problems with the first few weeks there are some problems because it's a new class like there are things that just get worked out and uh so those will go away next semester um Mm. that i have to just sort through now and then yeah i i sort of feel like if you already know the information they provided so far it's just back like background information Mm. and if you didn't know it then you you have a lot of work to catch up so i feel like Mm. i sort of feel like they should have made it prereqs but then like I'm saying that it can be your first machine learning class. So that doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. So I think they're in a tough spot and that's why the first three weeks were like sort of just background information. But yeah, yeah starting with the actual fourth week, it became more interesting. Gotcha. I'm reminded of, and I think I've told the story before the intro to almost every single one of my computer science undergraduate programs. The first week was just on binary numbers for every single class. <laughs> I relearned how to do it. Every, and I was sitting there senior year like, oh, my God, here we go, learning binary yeah. numbers again. And there were people sitting next to me that I've been in classes before where we have learned binary numbers just, like, rigorously taking notes and asking questions like, but what? How, how do you do subtraction? And I'm like, are you joking? <laughs> you know, I've seen you learn this before. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. So, yeah, that's a, a difficult problem, I think, in education is, like, I think it's that it's easy to cheat your way through without actually understanding the fundamentals. So each Mm -hmm. class feels an obligation to make sure that you're understanding what's actually going on. Because even if you, even if you said you have to take this class before this other class, retention between classes doesn't feel as high as it should be. Like, man, what, what's my recall of classes that I took in college? What, what things do I still remember from them that on paper, I have fulfilled the prerequisites to take some other class, but I wouldn't. I, w- I barely know anything more than people who were uh, just exposed to the information for the first time. Um, and I don't have a good solution to that. I wonder if maybe you, you like record a really good lecture on teaching binary numbers in half an hour, and then before each class starts, you're like, "All right, here's the set of concepts that you are expected to be familiar with." And if you feel lost in a particular topic, here's the reference material of like, here's how binary numbers work. And here's the math behind gradient descent. Um, I feel like there's a, a better solution to that problem in education. Yeah, yeah, it, it's super tough. Yeah, it, especially because so in this program, there there actually are no prereqs. They, they can't have a class be a prereq for another class. That's part of mm-hmm. the program because you can take it in, in any order. And so, um, but what they do instead is like, I think for every class so far, I've been pointing to the three blue, one brown linear algebra videos. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are sort of a set of, of things that like they expect you to know. And yeah, sure. If you took advanced linear algebra, then that's a great prereq for some of the classes, but they can't. So they say, go watch 
these videos instead mm. um i just feel like this class had a little more of the uh the intro stuff than is the what was necessary they probably could have just pointed to some online things mm. in the first couple of weeks okay well it sounds like it's moving in the right direction then if they're linking to three blue one brown videos those videos are fantastic they yeah, teach great. so well and so succinctly and the animations are so good um we, we've talked about them before uh cool class stuff is going well how about acorn chat stuff what updates do you have about acorn chat sure uh could have led with this i suppose because this is a sass uh, <laughs> podcast yeah. it's supposed to be anyway um and we're already halfway through um yeah, so Acorn Chat went well. I talked to someone who is switching from HubSpot, and he wants to use uh, something that is less for giant teams and more for sort of individual. Like, he has a, a few people on his team, but it's not like um, you know HubSpot or Intercom, which expects you to have like multiple teams and multiple people on the teams with different shifts and, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So he wanted something simpler, which is exactly what mine is. Um, so yeah, so he signed up, and we had a half an hour call. He was super interested and he was like uh, anything you need me to do do you need me to like uh you know go talk to my friends about it and whatever and so <laughs> all right yeah. so uh i'm gonna he, he had a couple of things that he that he wanted to do um like he wanted a slightly different design and he wanted you know a few other things but uh otherwise like he is kind of the model customer like that i that i want uh, a small team who got sort of fed up with the high cost and high complexity of a you know one some of the other solutions like it mm. makes sense if you have 20 people on a team and 12 teams, but he has one team with three people, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was a really neat call. High cost, I don't love as a differentiating factor. Higher simplicity, I love as a differentiating factor. If you can if you can advertise yourself as a simpler hub, HubSpot, uh, now that's like, okay, that could be a Google ad and that could be a Facebook ad. And, um, I'm reminded of... Christopher Gimmer is the co-founder of a company called Snappa that makes an absurd amount of money. Uh, I, I think this is public. Uh, I shouldn't say exact numbers. It, it makes a lot of money. Uh, I, I think he mentioned amount. it at one of the microcomps. I think it was over a million. Uh, it's yeah. over a million error. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> so, mentioned that at one of the microcomps. <laughs> he's making a lot of money. And Snappa <laughs> as a product is a stripped down Photoshop that mm-hmm. is specifically for the task of making uh social images so they have as pre-built templates uh the size that you need for something to be a facebook banner or uh the social meta uh size for like the open graph tags or uh the the ideal size for a twitter post um so when you open it up and say new document that's what you see you're like okay what are you making a facebook post or a, a uh you know website uh graphic or something and like so this is a really good case study of the entire product. Like you can do that in Photoshop. You just have to know the exact pixel number of every right. dimension. Like, and then, you know, you can, you can save your own templates and say, okay, this is a predefined size and this is what I want the size to be. And this is what I want the DPI to be. But like, that's getting real technical. You have to, that's a separate Google search. Now you have to have your own separate system of being able to, to make pre-configure sizes versus on Snappa. You just keep paying them. It's a pretty cheap product. I think it's under $10 a month. Uh, but then for you know now now i can hire a graphics design person and just say you know i want you to make me a facebook banner and i want it to include this stuff and the very first step of it of like what size do you make it and what dpi if they were using uh photoshop they'd have to have some technical knowledge and expertise of of what that means versus on this they're like oh i'm i make facebook banner i click facebook banner button right uh, and then you're done and it, every every design decision of the product follows that uh methodology like because it's narrowly focused into it's for people making social uh images um you can make a much simpler product so uh yeah i i like that he wants something simpler 
And I think the game then is like, make sure you have really clear who this is simpler for. Um, what are the use cases of HubSpot that you're intentionally not going to pay attention to? And who are the people in HubSpot that are using HubSpot that are overwhelmed because of the complexity of it that would love something like uh, Acorn Chat where it's it's just the one happy path of the way that they want to do it and, and style the way that they want to do it. Um, so he you, you said he wanted some extra things that you didn't do like uh, theming. Um, how, how else might this product move in that direction of like making his use case uh, simpler? Um, so the, the only other real thing he said, which, or he said two things. One is he wants more information about who's typing, which is something that I want to do too. So like, uh, just basic stuff, uh, you know, user agent. So like what mm. browser they're on, uh, IP address location is what mm-hmm. he wanted. Um, and stuff like that, which I wanted to do anyway. So mm-hmm. that's something I'm expecting to do. I recently um, did all of that for File Inbox also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you yeah. want help on uh, libraries or stuff, I, I, I got you. <laughs> I think I've done it a couple of times already. Okay. So yeah, I just need to do it. Right. Um, he also wanted some customization, which you actually can do now, but he wanted like on the, uh, I have this wrong, I wrote it down, but on like the quote page, he's he wants the tagline to be something like you know what questions you have about your quote or something and on the uh if you're already logged in he wants like you know how can i help you with case number or whatever or something like i i, I don't mm. know he he but he wanted to be able to dynamically change the sort of like help text line yeah um, which i think makes a lot of sense um and yeah i think that's like the only other things that he said um he, he also I think wants, he, he didn't say this directly, but based on his use case, probably wants file uploads, which I also want to do. Um, I mm-hmm. think that's going to be important. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's not that, not that many features. For, yeah. Yeah. I think we talked before too about um, the feature of being able to get screenshots of the page. I think it'd be really cool. Yeah. Uh, I, it's not important for him. I don't think, but okay. If, <laughs> I, I guess I can't talk until I'm one of your customers. <laughs> I'm gonna sign up under an alias and ask if I can uh, have a call with you. I'll, I'll wear right. a fake mustache and be like, "Could you implement uh, screenshots of the page?" Uh, cool. No, really good signal. I love that you're developing this. Uh, like listening to what users actually want, uh, and then not just blindly following the letter of what they want you to do, but filtering that through your understanding of the product in the marketplace. Um, yeah, I, th- I think this is exactly what building the SaaS looks like. Uh, good job. Uh, how does it feel? I think. A, a trend that I've noticed over the last few uh, weeks that we've been working is like you seem to not feel as enthusiastic about working on Acorn Chat. Uh, how, how are you feeling overall about this as a project? Yeah, I think I've been my number one focus recently has been getting the five grand from Kaggle. Yeah, <laughs> which I just did. Uh, and so I felt less interested in it just because I've had less time to do things. So I also have my class. I'm also going to travel to my brother's wedding in two days. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot going on recently and it's not, it's so, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not the thing that I've been doing, you know, 24 seven, which sometimes SAS has been. So I think that is why I'm feeling that way. Um, yeah. So now that Kaggle's done after my brother's wedding, hopefully my motivation picks up for it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, cool. Uh, I know the lack of coworking also was something that you said in the past. Uh, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, which I, I, yeah, felt that I end up just working on Kaggle the whole time instead. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, for the record, like I think this is a really good idea. I think it's a really good product. I think it addresses a really good market need. 
uh, I think this is something that could potentially be making you a buttload of money and helping a lot of people. It could, yeah. Um, part of it too is like I could work on it all my time, like all of my time, mm-hmm. and maybe that gets me to where I want to be twice as fast, ten times as fast. I don't know, but I don't. I think working on it like I am will eventually get me there. Also, mm-hmm. some some startups you have to work on all the time, or else they totally fail. Mm-hmm. I don't see this as one of them. It's why I chose this idea. Like mm-hmm. I can work on this sort of slowly over time, and mm-hmm. like it's not going to just totally flop if I'm not working on it all the time. Yeah, uh, which is why I picked this as a, as a thing with all the other stuff I have going on. I picked a known market with known competitors and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of a known path, feature path and marketing path. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think it's okay if I do it slower for this particular like idea. And just let people trickle in from Slack. Yeah. I think if, if I could nudge you in a direction that I think it would be like have more marketing irons in the fire at the same mm-hmm. time. So, yeah. like... Uh, at the same time as you have people trickling in through Slack, uh, also be running Facebook ads, also be running Google ads, also be doing something else crazy, uh, doing the, the traction uh, uh, experiments of like have have three running at the same time and have some way of tracking how well each of those is doing. Um, and then, yeah, like waiting is part of marketing. The, the results that you get from marketing aren't immediate. It, it's on the scale of like a month. Um, so the more of those that you can be doing simultaneously, the the what am I trying to say? The the like quicker your marketing efforts yeah. uh, become vested because you're doing it in in parallel instead of uh, in series. Yeah, so, I mean it also yeah. compounds. Like yeah, so the the more you do fat, the more you do sooner, the not only the faster it will grow, but the the more it grows mm-hmm. uh, faster. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know what Somebody I mean? Somebody quote that. <laughs> not only the faster it grows, but the more it grows faster. <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> chris ashard on the power of compounding interest um, <laughs> congratulations to your brother also on uh getting married that's very exciting yeah. marriage marriage is awesome marriage is really cool um you can say that now as a married man. i can i can say that now <laughs> knowing it uh cool i have three things i would like to talk about cool uh first is file inbox the second is a brand new hobby that i picked up this last week that you don't know anything about so i'm excited to tell you about it i don't uh, you might actually know about the tech you don't know that i'm doing it you might know Okay. You might have elements of this hobby already. Uh, yeah, uh, you you hinted then, at it earlier, and I was excited to find out what it was. Yes. So we'll yes. <laughs> uh, also, I switched to iPhone. Uh, mm. I'm still waiting on a SIM card, but otherwise, like, I switched over. And so I'd, I'd like to talk about that process and uh, uh, why I switched and uh, stuff about the iPhone. So first, uh, I got so much done on File Inbox this last week. Oh, my gosh. Like, being home, being in my routines, having all my stuff handy, having the co-working Oh my gosh, so much stuff got pushed pushed through. Uh, a sampling of some of the stuff I did. Um, I implemented this feature to do uh, deleting of nested objects. It's, so this hmm. is a little bit easier in Rails, but if you have like an object that owns another object and then you delete the parent object, uh, you can just have one line of code that deletes the child object. Can't do that on Firebase. You have to imperatively say that when this object is deleted, delete these other other objects. So that was kind of complicated because there were multiple layers of things and they didn't all have children in the same way, but uh, yeah. I did that. Um, we talked, I was going to say, we talked about that anyway. Like the way you're doing it is actually complicated in Rails too because you have like conditional deleting after, you know, conditional yes. nested deleting, which is hard in Rails also. So. Yeah, that specific case is that a page can have multiple users and so when a user's deleted, I want to also delete any page that they're the only user of. 
but if there if there's a page that has them as a user and someone else as a user then the page shouldn't be deleted so yeah right. that that also would have been complicated in rails um but that that is one of the first edge cases that i bumped into well that's not true it's one of the edge cases i bumped into where uh things were a little harder to do on firebase than they would have been in rails um but not that bad um Next thing, I fixed an uploading bug that wouldn't upload files bigger than the minimum chunk size. <laughs> and <laughs> I found the reason for that was because I was calculating the size of a megabyte incorrectly. I Oops. thought a megabyte was 1 million bytes. And the way Dropbox calculates a megabyte, it is 2 to the 20th bytes. Uh, and apparently, both of them are valid definitions of a byte. And nowhere in the Dropbox documentation do they say which definition they're using. So, whatever. <laughs> it's fixed now. <laughs> Uh, also fixed a audio issue. Oh, this is that's been plaguing me since last. Has it been a year? No, it hasn't been a year. Uh, since like six months ago, when Brian first uh collected a bunch of videos through this. For for some users, some of the time we couldn't fi- quite figure out why or when. Uh, there would be no audio stream, and I figured it out. Uh, it, and it was a really simple fix. I just had to like reboot the audio stream i couldn't reuse the same audio stream that i had already recorded on probably because of some bug in the way that it's implemented in browsers i don't know but that that's fixed uh i had a path name bug that i fixed uh and then one of my new users asked me uh for a new feature that is an old feature that isn't implemented on the on the new platform which is to cc uh file upload notifications Hmm. and this was just one that oh it felt so good just like in a day i just banked it out i did like the front end of it and made the front end much nicer and validate the email addresses and have a maximum of three emails that you could cc and uh made unit tests for that uh and then made unit tests for the back end and was able to just flow all the way through it just felt like such a nice little chunk of atomic work of like all right (laughs) this morning it didn't have this feature and after i'm done with work it does have this feature and uh I'm I'm really loving like when he asked me for a feature and then I email him back and say, ah, I'll work on this today. And then like two hours later, I'm like, it's done. And I yeah. implemented it for you and there's nothing you need to do. Uh, so that felt really good. And I'm currently working on fixing this bug for uploading files larger than memory. And I talked with you about this this morning, but I was working with the assumption that Firebase Cloud Functions have infinite... Uh, uh, file storage, like hard disk space. Yeah. And that's not true. <laughs> uh, so the way that I was uploading files was I, so th- there's, for a response, there's a set of files. I have no idea how many files they're going to be. I have no idea uh, how big they're going to be. Probably huge and probably a ton of files. So I was in one step with my beautiful PMAP function that I talked about a couple episodes ago, downloading all the files and then uh, uploading the files in batches to, to Dropbox. And I thought that's going to be more fault tolerant. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm only using a certain amount of memory when I'm downloading it. And then I'm uploading it in chunks, so I'm, I'm only using a certain amount of memory. And I was getting errors on really big files uh, that my process was running out of memory. And I was like, how is that possible? Because And I, like, tried reducing the chunk size, so I'm doing it in even smaller chunks, and it was still running out of memory. And I was like, what, why is this happening? And in looking at the documentation of what's actually happening on Firebase Cloud Functions... It's it's disk is a in memory disk. So like <laughs> any file that I save to disk is just getting stored in memory. So like I'm I'm storing these multiple gigabytes of files and it's like we're running out of memory because you only allocated, you know, a, a quarter of a gigabyte to this. Uh so like it's fine. I wish they would have been more upfront with that. Uh <clears throat> or that I'd realize what was going on. Uh but I just have to go through and refactor the the uploading uh to do something really cool that I actually wanted to do in the first place, which is like streaming download and upload so like i mm-hmm. download a single chunk of a file and then it immediately flows 
into the upload and I'm only keeping track of that one chunk at a time. Uh, but with my fancy PMAP function, I can be doing that with three files in parallel. Uh, yeah, so it, it, that, that's what I'm currently working on. Uh, yeah, that's that's everything I did and what I'm currently working on. That's cool. Uh, the last part is uh, a perfect uh, example of leaky abstractions. Uh, Joel Spolsky, I think, uh, coined that term. But yeah, it's like serverless functions are great and you don't have to think about how any of the server stuff works until you do. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, yeah. And this is a case where you do. Yep. So uh, yeah, that's cool that you, you solved it. This is uh, this is building the moat like we talked about. And uh, yeah, so the, the more you get this to work, the harder it is for someone to come in after you and do it too. So feels good. Uh, yeah. I also just feel like I'm gaining so much competency in learning how the serverless infrastructure works and how, like, you know, moving files around and, and uh, streaming stuff from one place to another. That's a really useful skill set for a lot of stuff. Like, you might have to do something like that when uh, yeah. implementing file uploads for uh, Acorn Chat. So, yeah, I, I, it feels like another one of these situations where just like I can't lose. Even if File Inbox crashes and burns and I, doesn't work as a company, like, I could go into consulting and have this incredible skill set of being able to do serverless stuff. Uh, I could build another SaaS that uses the same sort of techniques and uh, feel very competent and like I know all the leaky abstractions of uh, the, the serverless infrastructure. Yeah, it, it, it feels really good. Um, some things coming up. Uh, there's a few features I want to do of like uh, adding a long text type. I noticed on my second user's page, uh, people are typing a whole bunch of text in a text field that's just a single line long. Hmm. And when I was implementing this, I was thinking like, ah, no one needs to do a, a long field, but they totally are. So uh, I'm, I'm doing user-driven development of like how how are they actually using it yep. and uh, implementing features as I see that they need it. Uh, so that feels good. Oh, I wanted to talk about analytics because... I, so I had the conversation with Keith uh, Perhack about Segmetrics, and it is a perfect product. Uh, it's it's going to do, like, everything I needed to do. And I was so embarrassed about this because I had the call with him, and he was like, yeah, it, it does all the things you need to do. And I was like, this is perfect. Thank you so much. And then I went to go sign up. <laughs> it was $150, like, starting. And I was like, I, yeah. oh, no, I can't justify <laughs> this right now. Um, if MRR was a little higher, like, I could do it. But, like, oh, that's just a little too high. Uh, so I message him back and let him know like thank you so much i'm really embarrassed about this but like i i wish i could afford this right now but i can't so i'm just going to limp along with something else right now um and then i did a little more digging in firebase analytics and it looks like firebase analytics i'll, I'll be able to cobble together the, the stuff that i need and it's built into firebase and so it's it's like not so bad uh and i actually haven't told you about this but keith messaged me back this super nice message uh he was like no worries at all uh and he offered to comp my account like to to give me the service for free and i don't know what to do about that because like hmm. that's a lot of like it's a 150 dollar a month service and i don't like I, I i have a lot of conflicting feelings about that what yeah I'm, I'm struggling to i don't know what what would you do in this situation i'm, I'm having trouble understanding i don't know that's interesting um i know exactly why he did it uh, because you're part of the same circles and like you know his customer base is bigger than just you know like you and you like you know yeah i mean even just talking about it on this podcast like people are hearing about it where they wouldn't have otherwise so he gets mm. some you know whatever and he would get you know user feedback from you using it i'm sure you'd feel indebted to him and so you'd give him all the feedback you could right i don't know I, I, that's very interesting i don't know if i would i mean I mean, probably. Why not? Just accept the free yeah, right. <laughs> service. Um, yeah, like you will, you will feel indebted to them. The other thing that's interesting is 
as software developers and as users and as builders ourselves, we have things that are more valuable than money to some people mm. or more valuable than just whatever money. So you using it, talking about it, uh, and, and giving them user feedback. Also probably talking to everybody at microconf that, that it's such a great product, um, yeah. is more important to him. Like this is, this is one of the ways he's doing marketing. That's how I see it. Yeah. Um, and so that's interesting. That's cool. Uh, yeah. It is cool. Everyone else shouldn't email him. Uh, you should pay for it. <laughs> but <laughs> I also don't know. I hope I before I might edit this part out. But I'll I'll ask him All if right. it's okay that I talked about uh, comping it. But yeah. Uh, so yeah, I it's a really good product. Uh, I I would like to be able to pay for it. I think as soon as MRR, man, like once it gets over, I don't know, like uh, let's say six k. Uh, I, I think I want to be paying for this because it is a really good product. It is solving like the exact problem that I, I want to be solving. Um, I just can't yeah, I mean, justify it right now. From his perspective, like, and from ours, right? If if we know someone is going to love our product and talk about it, but they can't afford it, so they're not mm-hmm. a customer anyway, and mm-hmm. their marginal cost to, to us is like zero, basically. Yeah. Of course, give it to them for free. If they get right. one person to sign up, then that's more than we would have gotten otherwise. Right. Um, so Okay. Yeah, that does make sense. And I I think if I think I would do the same thing with file inbox. If there was someone I knew who like, you know, was in the same sort of space and uh especially if I knew they had a podcast, my gosh, like I I'd, I'd be trying right. to reach out to those people to, to give them free accounts. Right, exactly. Uh yeah. okay, okay. I that that addresses a concern I had which is like, yeah, I I I don't want to just be taking stuff from him for free. Uh so Yeah, I mean I think critically, your email was not like, I can't afford it. Can you give it to me for free? It's like, right. I'm sorry. I love it. I can't afford it. Right. And then he was the one who suggested comic. Okay. So. Okay. I think I I think I think feel okay about that then. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, I'm using Psychometrics. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. really cool. It's going to do exactly what I want. Uh, they do some really cool stuff too with like Stripe integration. So you can identify a customer uh, all the way to Stripe. So you can see like, you know, this Facebook ad that I bought led to these users to be created in stripe which that's led cool. to these invoices so like this is the total value of money that i made from this facebook ad uh and that's some next level stuff that i, I wasn't going to be able to do even if i built my own thing uh so that's really cool uh other things i have coming up are doing uh playwright integration tests like full stack making accounts and stuff uh i want a button on the uh response page that lets you download all files and that's going to be kind of cool i'm going to like download all files in memory if it's below a certain amount and then zip them up and then download the zip file uh because the browser api for downloading files is interesting uh then i can keep folder structure and things like that and i need to fix a bug where uh links to individual files in notification emails isn't currently working so i will fix that all right that's all for file inbox oh we are running low on time so i will uh cover these next two points quickly uh, you, you I probably cut out about half of what I talked about about uh, Kaggle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I, f- I felt like I rambled and probably lost people. This is not an AI podcast, so I I enjoyed the conversation about that. And if listeners are noticing that, like we are nowhere close to time, that's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I'll, I'll probably keep it in. Uh, Great. Okay, I I picked up a new hobby. Uh, some background on this: Sarah uh, has been mildly stressed out ever since i moved into this condo because we like doubled the amount of stuff in the condo and it's a Mm. three-bedroom condo so there were just like piles of stuff all over the the, uh living room and kitchen and uh she came up with a really good solution that which was like if we build more space uh in the kitchen we could build cabinets and then uh swap out some of the uh opening drawer parts with slidey drawer parts 
uh, we'd, we would have a lot more usable space. And something that I've always wanted to do is get into carpentry and like, all right, do stuff with table saws and like, yeah. So, so that's my new hobby. <laughs> I've watched like 20 hours of YouTube videos on how to make cabinets. I am developing opinions on the best sort of joinery for making a box. If you do like miter joints or pocket joints or uh, uh, rabbits or uh, uh, dovetails and all the different jigs and stuff that you need to, to do each of those and watching all these strength test videos of people like making the From same joints out of different materials and seeing what Matthias Windell is, is that who you're watching doing that oh I oh he hasn't come up in this but I know who you're talking about uh yeah he does he does like next level craftsmanship like I'm, I'm just trying to build a basic box and he, cabinets and oh no no, no. He, he, he has lots of strength test videos he uh yeah. okay I'll, I'll look at his stuff I, I need to pull I need to pull it up uh for anyone watching this on video I'm showing you now my table saw all right <laughs> a job site table saw uh, uh dewalt uh which is the best table saw to get uh i've wanted one of these forever and it was great to go to sarah and be like so you want this many cabinets if we went to a contractor to get this it would be this much money a table saw is only 500 dollars, yep. and i could theoretically make an infinite number of cabinets uh yeah so that's it's a fun new hobby i have uh and then midway through the project while i was just like sitting on the couch watching youtube videos for the third day in a row and she's still getting frustrated because she's like we bought the table saw like come on we need, we need to tidy <laughs> up uh we had a really healthy conversation where i was like okay it sounds like the thing stressing you out right now is that uh there's just a lot of stuff in the, the living room and the kitchen let's just the, the most effective use of both of our time right now is to just tidy the stuff and move it somewhere else uh and then you'll feel much better and won't feel like there's uh, this is a hair on fire problem that you need cabinets built right now and then i'll feel much better because i can take my time and keep doing this analysis between <laughs> the different types of joinery of how to make a box uh so we did that most of this stuff ended up in my office so also if you're watching this on video it's just it's just junk <laughs> it's a lot there's a lot of stuff in here right now uh but the main living space is beautiful and uh, there's very little stuff and i also have some time and space to be able to learn how to uh, make cabinets uh that's my point number two uh that's great that's awesome uh i think carpentry and in general just woodworking is a very common software engineering hobby um, yeah 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 uh, i have it as well um i actually don't have a table saw i tried to buy one during covid i tried to buy a saw stop one so that i wouldn't chop off my fingers oh um, fancy and they were they were back ordered for like a long time so i actually don't have one a table saw but i have all the other tools and um yeah th- so the other thing i was going to say is what you talked about with Sarah is a very common thing that comes up in our house too, which is where do you put all this stuff that's in the middle of the floor? <laughs> what I tend to do is what you did, which is move it somewhere else. And I'll, mm. but then I never get to it later. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> our storage room in the basement is full. Uh, when you came over, you saw one of our rooms, which is full <laughs> of craft stuff. And uh, yeah, it's like, eventually you got to do something with the boxes <laughs> yep <laughs> but uh yeah that's cool yeah i mean that's that it, it, it's a nice hobby I, I like it too um that's awesome yeah good i feel like this stuff will have to be dealt with because it, for me it's in a very visible space i don't get as stressed out about stuff i can sort of like laser focus yeah. and ignore stuff uh but like it's there's there's piles of stuff physically in my way now when i walk uh uh in and out of this room and there's a plan for all of it so like there's a pile of vacuum stuff uh like like uh roombas and vacuum stuff that just needs to be that the extra vacuum stuff needs to be uh have its own box and that needs to go in the shed and then the roombas need to be uh i I need to order new 
uh, brushes for him and then set them up in the rooms where, where they're going to live. And then like this kitchen stuff behind me, there's like a sous vide machine and a, a spiralizer and stuff. Once we have the new storage in the kitchen, that's where that's going to live. Uh, and there's a big pile of stuff to like donate or sell. Uh, and I'm like, I can see it. It's here. It's not, yeah. I don't have a basement to hide it in. Like that's good. It's yeah. still visible to me and it's not stressing Sarah out. So yeah, uh, I think it'll be okay. The other thing is, I think it drives Brittany nuts because she's not the one who put it in a box. Whereas I'm like, okay, I need this document from 2020. That was three boxes ago. So it's about third of the way down in this particular box <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> and I can go find it. And so I know exactly where everything is in these 20 boxes that are in her basement. Uh, and she just sees a pile of boxes. So yeah, that's funny. That's good. <laughs> Something I've been doing better at honing is like triaging stuff at different levels so like uh, I oh i have that. a, I have a yeah. usb cable on my desk right now that came from uh a water bottle my sister got me uh and this this charges the water bottle because it is like a uv sanitizer or something so i know the spot where this goes and it's in that box right there in a bin of different cables and it's in the USB A to USB C uh uh, uh place so i have options for where i can put this that the correct place to do it is to put it like in the actual spot where it's going to live but the next level up is if I just get it in the bigger bin of electronics, then the next time I open the bigger bin of electronics, I have a bunch of loose stuff in there and then I can sort those away where they go. And then the third level is I have a big pile of stuff that just needs to be sorted. And then that mm-hmm. stuff eventually I'll go through. That that actually has been here since I moved in. But I've, I've <laughs> <laughs> See? It's yeah, a smaller I never pile get, than it used to be. <laughs> yeah. I never get past that step either. <laughs> yeah. um, but the, that that middle step of like that I can just get it close to where it should be. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it. it things end up getting sorted much easier and then my job of sorting the big thing isn't that it has to go to its ultimate place it just has to get to like the the larger category of the the spot where it needs to go so like uh i might i might go through that pile of stuff that needs to be sorted and come up with a box of stuff that just needs to be sorted somewhere in the shed but by getting it into that box and then getting the box into the shed the next time i'm in the shed i can be putting stuff away there so uh breaking it up into into smaller pieces uh, similar to how you might upload a file in chunks. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> we are a little bit over time, but that's okay. I only have one more point. Uh, I switched to iPhone and mm-hmm. uh, I bought it on my birthday. Uh, nice one. When, I got when the, was your birthday? I, Happy birthday. Oh, on the 8th. Yeah. All right. were, were you here on your birthday? <laughs> that would have been weird. Uh, no, I wasn't. No. Okay, great. <laughs> Go work it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and there was another little celebration and stuff we did, but uh, uh, I also got myself an iPhone. And the table saw also was kind of my birthday present. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, uh, people, when when I told people this, they kept asking me why, and uh, some people had switched for, like, security, but I'm, I'm switching in preparation for Apple to uh, uh, have their AR, VR glasses, and also mm-hmm. there have been a lot of buggy UI things with Android, especially around the Maps app. Uh, it doesn't work very well. Um, so I have just loved the experience so far, especially paired with the Apple watch. So smooth and seamless and, uh, nice. And, oh man, I, I, the, the, uh, automation, uh, shortcuts app is like a little mini programming environment. I was able to set up that anytime I unplug my phone, it switches into low power mode, which is perfect. Like that's kind of the reason why I switched to Android is to have that level of customization. And I feel like they've introduced this environment now on the iPhone where it's easier to program it. Uh, and it's just as powerful so that's been really nice and i was able to do stuff like uh i have a a category of pictures that i take when i'm doing uh like logging meals that i uh, Mm. eat and i was able to usually that that just junks up my main camera roll but i was able to to make an automation just like 
in 10 minutes that it's a it's a custom button that opens up the camera to ask for a picture and then after the picture's taken it timestamps it and uploads it to a specific folder in my dropbox and like wow there's, there's a lot of stuff going on there uh and I, I was able to put together something that complicated in 10 minutes and also for time tracking uh i was able to really time track for for me to time track something with the time tracker i meant i just need to make an api call um and i was able to make a, a shortcut that prompts me with a list of the hashtags that i might want to track and then is able to url encode that and, and uh post it and yeah uh it's a surprisingly powerful platform oh and then once i have the shortcut on the phone it depending on the actions i'm using in the shortcut app a lot of them are still compatible with the watch so like i can use all of those same shortcuts with the watch also so uh yeah that was really cool i'm impressed with uh ios as a platform it's it's really good uh yeah uh that's cool i yeah so i'm on ios and i'm on ios because i have a mac and my wife has ios and so it like the syncing between it is the reason that we did it um I didn't even realize you could do some of that stuff. So I should look because it's gotten more advanced than when I checked last time. Um, some of that would definitely be useful for me too. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. But we talked a little bit. Have you, so I mentioned that after I make a big technology choice, I have some buyer's remorse, even though it's like, I think a better thing, like it takes a few weeks or months even to yeah, like, yeah. get used to it. Have you gotten over, uh, and you mentioned you felt that a little bit, have you gotten over that yeah. a little bit yet or, or no? Yeah. I, I, I felt cathartic to hear you say that because I was feeling a little virus remorse of like, I have a phone that works and it feels kind of bad. To, like, <laughs> right. Especially when I'm, when I'm here making these decisions of like not spending $150 a month on a uh, better tracking to drop, you know, I think $650 on a, on a new phone that I don't strictly need. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't feel great. Uh, but mm, I, I've settled into it now and I'm also hoping to recoup some of that money by selling my old phone. Mm, uh, right. And I'm, I, I've, I've made the environment my own now. And like, if, if I, if you took this phone and watch away from me and gave me my old phone back, there are things that I would miss about it. Like these automations, um, and like the seamlessness of how everything works together. So, uh, yeah, sitting with it for a few days, I, I felt more resolute in the decision that it was the right one. That's good. I, also like we sort of glossed over something which is you don't have a sim card for your phone right which means your phone's not a phone yet <laughs> right yes which so is i still hilarious. have to have i <laughs> yeah. have to have two phones right now <laughs> well the, here's the especially hilarious thing is like it's still useful like 95 yeah. percent of the time that yeah, I'm yeah. Like, like phones aren't phones anymore <laughs> right no they're little pocket computers that you need yeah. to to like take notes and and uh do to do's on yeah uh yeah I, I was leaving the house the other day and like uh forgot to get my actual phone which <laughs> had my credit card in it oh uh, no yeah so i had to like go back and, and get my real phone but you gotta uh, like ask the place if you have if they have free wi-fi so you can connect to yeah yeah get your credit card <laughs> like in the olden days when you were traveling to a different country or something uh, you had to scramble to get a sim card uh what a, yeah what a future uh, yeah yeah right um and i thought with sarah's phone we were able to just pop out her sim card on her android phone and pop it into the new one mm, yeah, but when okay. i went to do that on mine i realized that i guess it's using an e-sim and i didn't know that so i had to order a new sim from google fi and so that gets here in two days or something and yeah. then i'll be uh that, switched over that's all the way back from the time where iphone was at&t only like that the the sim card decisions since then have been stemmed from that decision so yeah, mm. it's crazy mm. interesting uh yeah so ios is pretty cool oh i wanted to say one more thing which is like i spent probably the first two hours on this new phone just deleting stuff 
mm-hmm. and just getting rid of features. So like turning off all notifications, getting rid of like the news app and the stocks app and turning off the feature in Safari where when you open a new tab, it has a whole list of things there to distract you from what you're trying to do. Uh, it feels a little bit like uh, setting up windows where you have to just like yep. delete stuff and uninstall stuff. And uh, I, I, I don't like that. Uh, I think like to, to mindfully use your phone so that it's a tool for you instead of just a, an endless distraction machine uh, takes conscious effort. Oh, I had the same thought when I opened the, the app store uh, that they're just like trying to throw things in your way to distract you when I'm, I'm trying to download Dropbox and like, uh, you know, mail and Google Maps and the set of 10 applications that I know that I need. And they're like, have you seen all our crazy games? And would you like an Apple Arcade subscription so that you can play even more games unlimited? And uh, <laughs> here's the top app. It's TikTok. Download TikTok. It's an essential app. Uh, like, oh, my God, calm down. <laughs> it's a phone. I need it to, like, take notes. And I need it to uh, bridge all my smart devices so that I can do time tracking. And I need it to take pictures. And I need to you know get a boarding pass on it uh and yeah anything else is a something pulling me away from what i'm actually trying to get done uh, uh, i would yeah, also like to point out again that 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 is nothing that a phone could do 10 years ago maybe even five years ago <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's incredible it's, yeah it have you seen something. the page there's a page yeah. of a, a really old uh radio shack ad where it's a it's like it's like 20 different products it's it's advertising like a cd player and a fax machine and a digital camera it's and it's all like a phone now and it's just, yeah all everything on the page your smartphone could do and it's it's not like a special smartphone it's any smartphone any phone you get it could be a 50 dollars phone it does yeah. all of those things it can play music it can <laughs> be a map quest for you it's it's incredible we're living in the future uh I, yeah i haven't yeah, really i haven't cool. seen that but there is a video going around twitter which is like uh the the desktop of 1950s or whatever and then it sort of fast forwards in time and then oh, as yeah. things get invented it removes things from the desktop until it's just like a computer and a phone <laughs> that's yeah. Like it. yeah yeah <laughs> amazing yeah i i forget that sometimes but uh yeah just let the worst phone is is would be the most amazing piece of technology ever like uh 15 years ago uh yeah yeah really cool chris that's all I got. That's all I got.